Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Nasty Woman Club, the catch-up. Your weekly catch-up on news, issues, and events in the world of intersectional feminism. I am the Nasty Woman Club founder, host, journalist, Demi Lynch, and I'll be in your ears for the duration of this episode. This week on the show, I'll be talking about toxicity. No, I'm not just talking about this topic just so I can feature a Britney Spears song in the intro. Or am I? Anyway... Here on the show, I'll be looking at one of reality TV's most toxic families. I'll also be talking about toxic safe spaces in Facebook groups. And also the toxic fandom surrounding RuPaul's Drag Race. So, let's get on with the show, shall we? Let me introduce to you all the family that really needs no introduction. The Kardashians. Keeping Up With The Kardashians is finally cancelled. Keeping Up With The Kardashians is over. After 14 years of gracing our screens, tragically, no longer will we be able to keep up with the Kardashians. So you may have heard Keeping Up With The Kardashians is finally coming to an end in early 2021. And after 14 years, 20 seasons and many, many spin-offs, The series is coming to a halt. They haven't really announced why that is, but I'm guessing it's because Courtney is either this season or last season. She left the show, and then there was a drama with that. I don't really know the ins and outs of it all. But the reason why I want to talk about this is because some people are saying they're upset about this. Some people are saying it's an end of an era. For me, I'm really glad the show is finally ending. Because then it's one less platform this controversial family has to promote controversial thoughts, ideas, and attitudes. Okay? Hear me out. Now, before you get all mad and say I'm hating on the Kardashians, I'm not. I don't hate them. There's no need on hating them. There's many other people in the world I hate. For example, Donald Trump. I don't have hatred towards the Kardashians. Do I find them problematic as fuck? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, do I think everything that they do is problematic? God, no, of course not. And like, for example, I've written about Kim Kardashian and how she is putting in such a great fight for criminal justice reform. And I've spoken about that on Nasty Woman Club because I think it is fucking fantastic. She doesn't have to do all this. She doesn't have to do all this hard work to get into the legal system to try and get these people that have been wrongly put into prison out of prison. She doesn't have to do that. So I really do commend her for that. Let me preface that. But (laughs) let's get to the toxic part. This family is toxic. And I'm going to give you many, many examples on why this family is toxic and why I'm kind of glad that their platform on television is no longer going to be there anymore. So let's deep dive, shall we? Okay. First of all, let's talk about the cultural appropriation 
Yes. Now, Chloe, Kim, and Courtney are of Armenian descent. Kylie and Kendall, white. Just so we can make it clear when we get into the discussions about cultural appropriation. So, for some reason, all the sisters seem to be really, really into appropriating black culture. It seems to be their thing. They don't seem to ever own up to their mistakes with it. And look, sometimes they do, sometimes they do apologize for it, but majority of the time they just delete the photo or they just, and they post another one or they just ignore it and, you know, a few tabloids were right about it and then that's that. But I did a little bit of research and I looked into how often they've been accused of cultural appropriation and it is a lot. Like the Kardashian Jenner sisters have been appropriating black culture by wearing afros, Fulani braids, cornrows, bantu knots, and also Chloe has been appropriating Native American culture. She has worn indigenous headdresses several times. And don't get me fucking started on the blackfishing. Oh my god. Ugh. On many occasions, um, in particular, Kim and Kylie, they have like edited the tone, their skin tone, in pictures, so then that they appear darker which has upset a lot of people. So there's all that. <laughs> so yeah, definitely one of the primary issues with the Kardashian-Jenner family is the cultural appropriation and how they just keep appropriating black culture. You're not black. <laughs> Please stop appropriating black culture. I've seen so many women of color on social media talking about the frustration of how... The Kardashian Jenner sisters are making big lips, big butts a trend, yet many black women are born with big lips, big butts, but they're discriminated against. It's just, uh, it's very, very frustrating. Courtney. Oh my God, Courtney, I'm going to cry for you. This is like my biggest fear of life. You have a stretch mark. Another problematic issue that has been raised a lot with the Kardashian-Jenner family is the constant fat phobia and body shaming. So we probably have all heard about the diet lollipops that Kim used to promote on her Instagram. We've also probably heard about the fact that she has thanked people when she's when they called her skinny, anorexic on the show. A while ago, she also posted on Twitter that having the flu was an amazing way for her to lose weight before the Met Gala. Just things like that. Very, very problematic things. And don't get me started on Khloe Kardashian's show Revenge Bodies, insinuating that losing weight being a smaller-sized body is an act of revenge against your ex. Like... (laughs) It's just, it's just so messed up. They have, they are, again, I don't hate them. Please don't say I'm hating them. But they are a very problematic family. And they have said and done some very problematic things I haven't even touched on yet. The Kendall Jenner Pepsi ad. For those that don't remember and that want to get rid of that memory from their heads forever. Essentially, in the ad, there's like some, there's like some form of protest happening between the people and then there's the police and then Kendall Jenner appears and then she stops the protest by giving the police a Pepsi can and it's just so tone deaf there's just so many issues to unpack there but it's 
there's too many there's too many there's too many things to mention for me to fully unpack that but yes as you can tell it's so problematic and also thing as well it's not just the sisters the Kardashian and Jenna sisters that has been very problematic on this popular reality show it's also the men on this show there is so much toxic masculinity on this show I mean don't even get me started on Scott Disick who's just He's, like, looked at like, oh, he's, like, this funny commentator of the family, but he is a dickhead. And also Kanye West with his support of Trump, and I know he's going through mental health issues right now, I understand that, but we cannot ignore the problematic stuff he's said in the past. But most of all, I'm pissed off about Rob fucking Kardashian. He's just been let off with it all, even though he shared naked photos of black China across the internet. And then so much so that she had to get a restraining order against him. But yet, the Kardashian-Jenner family hate her, even though their own brother could actually be sent to jail for revenge porn. Like, that's an offense. But no, 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 no. Black China is, like, the bad person of this whole thing. I remember when they were together, and there was that show that came out. Like, she was villainized so much. But the problem is, like, it's just... No, you you literally sent out photos showing her vagina. What is wrong with you? No, that is not okay. No, you should not be praised for being a great father. You shared photo you shared naked photos of a woman across the internet. That is messed up. So yes, in conclusion, I'm not too sad that that show is ending. I'm not too sad that this family will have one less platform to promote clothing brands that underpay their staff, skinny tees, fat phobia, toxic masculinity, classism, unrealistic beauty standards. Nah, I'm not too pissed about it. I'm pretty bloody happy about it. And what of it? Look, yes, their show has been very iconic. Yes, Chloe, Kim and Courtney coming into the spotlight does bring more representation for people that are of Armenian descent. But so problematic it's just you're gonna kind of weigh it up like which one has been more impactful on society and then that's where you can come think of it but yes that is my debrief on the Kardashians and the very very toxic family that has been put into the spotlight for the past 14 years planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. With this episode of The Catch-Up being all about toxic behaviours, people and attitudes, I thought I would look at Facebook groups. Now, Facebook groups have really grown in popularity over the past several years. There are some that have tens of thousands of people in them. And everyone seems to always have something to say. Which, of course, would cause some friction, some drama, as you would expect. But I'm seeing a trend, though. I'm seeing a trend of toxic behaviors repeating themselves again and again in women-led Facebook groups. So, 
To analyze this further, I've brought on the show Lauren, or as you may know her as on Instagram, Lauren Lately. She is an exceptional writer that is very passionate about discussing intersectional feminism and white allyship. Here's Lauren Lately. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. It only took us 20 minutes to finally get to me interviewing you. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me, Demi. I'm so excited. Yes. We are going to go on many rants, many tangents, try and not be too big of bitches. But then again, you and I, we are (laughs) queen of being bitches and a bit blunt, but that is okay. (laughs) Now, something that I really wanted to talk to you about, something that has been frustrating both of us these past several weeks in particular, is the notion of safe spaces, in particular in Facebook groups. I have seen this be discussed and be brought up in a lot of Facebook groups Tell me your thoughts about safe spaces, my dear. (laughs) Oh, it gets thrown around so much, especially in Facebook groups, I feel like, that attract um, a lot of young women. So I've noticed that especially in, like, the Shameless group, before that was shut down, and more recently in the It's A Lot podcast group. Um, And I actually put a post up the other week about safe spaces because it was actually really irritating me. And every time I would see somebody use the word safe space, I would respond and say, safe space for who? Because usually when people are talking about safe spaces, it's white women talking about it. And they mean a safe space for them, which they interpret as being like the freedom to say whatever they want without being held accountable. And they feel like they have this entitlement to think that these are spaces that exist for them and to empower them to say anything they want to. But it's often at the expense of um, anyone from a marginalised group because the safe space idea really means that they want to be protected at all costs at the expense of the opinions, thoughts, feelings and lived experience of anyone else in the group and they usually say it in a really defensive way um usually when they've been called out about something um and they really just can't uh look outside of their own experience and consider the fact that what they're saying might actually be quite damaging to somebody else and might be quite um hurtful because I think a lot of people just see safe spaces as, oh, okay, I want a space where it is very judgment-free so I can say whatever I want without being worried about being judged. But the sad reality is with the, with the society we live in now, you, you can't have that because otherwise people can say any racist, homophobic, sexist thing they want without being caught out on it. And the thing is, like by saying you want a judgment-free area, a very a safe space, it then allows people not to be able to call you out when you say something wrong because then you can just say like, oh, free speech or safe space. I can say whatever I want, but because this is a safe space, I I can't be judged for my free speech. That makes any sense at all. Yeah, it's like they don't want to necessarily be held accountable for Mm. the things they're saying and they kind of um, defend it with, oh, well, it's just my opinion. It's like, well, Mm. no, actually... um, some things you can't have opinions like that about some things there is a very clear right and wrong and racism and sexism and homophobia. um, They're just not okay. You can't have an opinion about that. That is damaging to somebody else's um, identity and their lived experience. Um, And I just think that it also comes along with a lot of tone policing. Um, They don't like it when they say something inflammatory 
they get pulled up on it and then they go and attack the uh, angry and rightfully angry tone of the person who is correcting them instead of dealing with the actual issue of what they're saying, which is really, um, it's really actually very problematic. And it's kind of like playing the person, not the point. It's getting away from the issue and kind of deflecting and making it an issue about something else. And then they make it about their own hurt feelings because they were expecting to be coddled and educated in a really gentle way. And it's Mm. putting a lot of pressure and a lot of expectation on particularly women of colour who are used to doing this emotional labour and um, having this burden their entire lives, like their very existence is political. And then you have white women in Facebook groups who feel entitled and empowered to say whatever they want and then expecting women of colour to do additional emotional labour to educate them on why they're wrong, but do it in a really gentle, softly, softly way, as opposed to just going, no, you're wrong, he's why. Um, mm. And I feel like people get really hung up on tone in online communication, particularly, um, because it's really hard to read tone. And people, when they feel defensive, they assume the worst. They look into it as being an attack, even though it might not actually be one. Yeah. And something that I see a lot of them say is that, oh, my intention wasn't this. And then there's this this discussion then about intention and impact. But the thing is like, look, your intention may have been good, but the thing is your impact can be so damaging and you might not ever know what your impact is because like, like you said, women of color, they then have to try and educate them. Many of them probably don't comment or try and educate you because they're tired of having to do that probably every single bloody day of their lives. So, because I do see that sometimes in Facebook groups that, that there are white people then saying, look, what you said is actually really racist. But then they say, oh, I don't see anyone of this nationality commenting this. I don't see anyone of this, of this color or people with disabilities. Like they don't see a marginalized person commenting. But the thing is, they're probably just fucking tired of trying to educate you all the time. Exactly. And this is why white people need to be better allies. Mm. Like it's just very emotionally taxing for people who live in marginalized bodies in whatever form that comes in to continually be doing this emotional labor when they do it every single day in their real life. And then they have to come online and do it for other people as well who don't appreciate them and they don't even know them. Like, doing that kind of emotional labor I can imagine for somebody that you don't know who is just like an icon on a, on a computer screen is just so taxing so it's really important to me like I'm very vocal in a lot of these Facebook groups and have caused a little bit of a stir um, at times <laughs> yep. but I believe in being a good ally or co-conspirator or whatever word you want to choose um, that means that I can take a small amount of the burden away from marginalized people so that they don't always have to do it and that they know that they have an ally in the comment thread. Um, Like I've got a friend who is a woman of color and she told me that she always really loved it when she would come into a bit of a contentious thread and see my name there because she knew that there was somebody fighting for her and somebody who was representing um, the argument or um, this, that side of the debate in, in a good and considered way. Because I think a lot of people look at racism as, oh, well, that's an issue for people of colour. And it's like, well, no, white people need to step up. We're the ones that made the system. We're the ones that are complicit in the oppression. We're the ones that need to be involved in dismantling it. And part of that is being quite vocal and speaking out about it. It's like when 
women are told by men that feminism is a women's issue. And it's like, no, actually, we need men to stand up and speak for us and with us because they're the ones doing the oppressing. It's the same thing with white people. We need to stand up to dismantle the system because people of colour can't do it on their own because they didn't build the oppressive system. We did. Mm -hmm. And also the sad reality is what I've seen is that there are a lot of white people that will only listen to white people when it is Mm -hmm. about certain issues. They may not listen to a person of colour about race because then they'll just, you know, I don't know why I think it obviously it's to do with racism. That's what that the reason why they don't listen to people of color about racism is because of racism, but there are many white people that will actually only listen to white people. And because they think, Oh, if that person actually cares, maybe I will care as well. With racism, then we have to be allies and to be an ally to people of color. It's not just posting a fucking to a black tile. Oh, fuck (laughs) off. Yes, exactly. It's not just posting, posting a black tile. It's not performative activism. It can't be performative. Yes, yes, exactly. Yes. You can't just perform being anti-racist and that you're an ally. No, it's an everyday thing that you have to work on. The same with not being sexist, the same with not being homophobic. You can't just post one thing on social media and think you're top shit. You're the great, you're the greatest ally. No. And at the same time as well, we're not expecting people to be perfect allies to every single marginalized community. You and I have both made mistakes. I used to always fucking say safe spaces. I used to say really problematic shit. Absolutely. But you just learn from it. I think people just need to understand that if someone is trying to educate you, instead of thinking, oh, I'm just going to fight back. No, no, no. I'm right. No, I'm right. Just think, huh, maybe if I learn from this, because we all learn from stuff. Like we all learn how to be better people. I mean, come on, like 10 years ago, people were bloody painting themselves black and they thought it was okay. But now in 2020, anyone that does any form of cultural co- appropriation that starts a conversation, like it's all learning. Yeah, I think we all need to know that we're all learning. Yeah, I think um, people get really hung up on their identity and they think of it as a fixed point. And they're like, well, I'm, I'm not a racist. They get really hung up on that. And it's like, but it's not about not being a racist. It's about being an active anti-racist. Mm. And so people view their identity as this very passive thing. And they sometimes can't look at the way that it might need to evolve. Um, and it's really easy to see when you look back and kind of go, oh, yeah, I'm a really different person to who I was five years ago, even two years ago. Um, But it's really hard, I think, when people are challenged on their current point of view to kind of look forward and go, actually, yeah, one day I might look back at this and go, actually, yeah, I didn't think the right thing. But when you're challenging people, it can be hard. People are naturally very defensive. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was really interesting what you were saying about um, that white people particularly want to listen to white people. And that's, one of the reasons why like Robin DeAngelo's book on white fragility is like one of the best selling books on anti-racism because she's white and white women want to listen to other white women talk about racism. They don't want to hear it from somebody who has lived experience, which is a really odd thing. Um, And it feels, I guess, like they can't relate maybe. And it's really Mm -hmm. funny. um, When I started posting a lot of anti-racism stuff on my Instagram, um, Sophie Keisha started following me, oh. which was so weird. Um, and I was talking to my friend April, the Bodzilla, about it, and she kind of hypothesized that the reason that Sophie feels comfortable hearing me talk about stuff is because I look like her, like, you know, white, white girl, brunette. Um, so the message feels more palatable coming from me. 
and less challenging coming from me than it would from a person of color, which is so wild, but it makes complete sense. Mm. Like people seek out other people who are like themselves to hear that message um, because they feel maybe a little bit of guilt or discomfort about hearing it from somebody who is a person of color. Yeah. I think that's, that's another reason why we do need more white allies is because if people are only going to listen to other white people, then we need more white allies who actually listen to people of color. Mm, exactly. And that's also why I really wanted you to come on here and for you and I to talk about racism. You and I are both white women and I've had several people, several people of color come to the podcast to talk about, right, talk about racism, but it shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't just be racism is only discussed when it's discussed with a person of color. It should be with everyone. The, the same with sexism, homophobia, with every single issue about marginalized communities. It should be with everyone. So the conversation is normalized. 100%. So for those unaware, with Shameless, they had to archive their group. And then with the It's A Lot podcast group, they had to limit it so that conversations could only be made in particular threads. And that was because of there was a lot of tension. But looking more deeper into that it was because there was a lot of tone policing there was a lot of arguments i'd have to ask you though what do you recommend would have been the best thing for these groups to do because they're both they're both very popular groups they have thousands and thousands of men and women in these groups how can a facebook group with such a large audience how can they have conversations that are inclusive and a proper quote-unquote safe space for people of everyone and I don't mean safe space as in like a judgment-free area I mean a safe space where there are allies where people know they're going to be there's going to be people sticking up to the sticking up for them when they are feeling like they've been targeted what are your thoughts I think um one of the things that really stood out to me I think in these groups is that they do tend to attract a lot of white feminists and the thing that was very clear in the types of comments that we're getting is that there was a very clear lack of diversity in these people's lives in the real world. You know, that a lot of them clearly don't have uh, friends who are people of colour, people of gender diversity, and people of, you know, people with disability or anything like that. And so they really struggled in a diverse space online, because they just don't have the ability to understand or relate to people from different backgrounds and different experiences. Um, so it's really hard to create a space like that when you do have people coming in who are so, um, I don't want to use the word aggressive, but very like aggressively defensive and aggressively white, essentially. Mm. Um, and I really do think that people need to kind of have a look at their friendship groups as a start, like look in their own lives before they look at their online lives and kind of go, um, who is in my friendship group? Are there any people of colour? Um, if you have one person of colour, who's their friendship group? Do they have any other friends of colour? Because if they're the one token person of colour in all of their friendship groups, like that's not diversity, that's tokenism. Um, and I really do think that if people put a little bit more effort into making their lives a little bit more diverse in real life, then that will kind of be reflected in their online lives. But in the, in the short term, I think the thing that really needs to happen is that people um, need to stop valuing their opinion as the most important opinion. 
in a Facebook group of like, you know, 20,000 people or so, your opinion is not the most important opinion. It's not even close to the top, you know, 50% of opinions in there. If people are really going in with the intention of learning and having a really good discourse about social issues and, you know, even things that are, you know, quote unquote frivolous as pop culture, um, those things are conversation starters. And if people aren't going in with a genuine intention to have a good conversation and kind of having some gen, like generally accepted ground rules about what a good conversation is, then um, I think that a lot of these groups will continue to go that way unless we can have some kind of terms of engagement of discussion and kind of everyone come to it agreeing that this is a place for conversation. It's not a place for everybody to be coddled it's not a place where everyone's opinion is valid because some opinions aren't. Um, but it is a place where we can have good, robust discussion about social issues with the intention that everything is through the lens of intersectional feminism. That was the glorious Lauren Lately. Make sure you check her out on her Instagram, lauren.lately, and also her website, laurenlately.com, for more discussions on feminism and pop culture social commentary. We're still on the toxic train here, and we're heading straight for toxic fandoms, in particular RuPaul's Drag Race fans. For those unaware, over the past five or so years, there's been this increase in cyberbullying against contestants and judges on the franchise. With the rise of social media, in particular Twitter and Instagram in this case, Many fans are taking the reality series a little too seriously and are attacking drag queens online and forcing some of them to even remove themselves off social media so they don't get bullied anymore. I desperately needed to talk about this problem with someone, so who better to ask than Bianca Ismoloski? Like me, she's a fan of the show and has become really really frustrated in some of the other Drag Race fans because they're essentially ruining this really beautiful thing we all have. That's what they're doing to us. It's upsetting. Anyway, this is Bianca. What I want to talk to you about is the shitstorm that the judges have been getting. In particularly, Jeffrey Bauer Chapman, he has even had to remove himself from social media. So his, social, so his Instagram is still active, but he has someone else post for him the comments unlimited he has to take Mm -hmm. he has to take down now his twitter because everyone's Mm -hmm. just been bullying him this entire season okay i love drag race i i love it and i'm such a huge fan but the one thing about the show that is just so frustrating is the fandom like i don't understand like don't get me wrong i take the show seriously and yes it is my life as well yeah but i mean people attack contestants that get voted off like if the show doesn't go the right way that they want it to go they attack and it's just like you're actively ruining the show because the thing is as well I mean like look at Jeffrey Boy Chapman is probably a good example of Mm. that now the producers I think had to re-edit the show to change like that's my opinion I think they had to edit the show and take out some of the judges critiques because they were probably like we can't enrage the the viewers but also if you look at just drag race as a whole like the earlier seasons like you know season three and four and five you've got like that real bitchy energy drama um which we all love like don't get me Mm. wrong we we love watching that stuff but 
now the queens are like playing this meta game where they're so aware of the way that they are portrayed on the show is going to affect them in real life that it makes them, I guess, not want to act a certain way on camera or it's just like we're not getting an authentic show anymore because Mm. they're so concerned and as they should be because like there are queens that have come off and then been like I wish I never did the show because my career is actually ruined and my life is ruined and I'm getting death threats and it's like don't we love this show why would we attack the people that are on it I know it's so ridiculous and two queens from the recent RuPaul's Drag Race season so Widow Von Du she has she's now taken herself off social media Britta uh, another black queen she has just been ridiculed so much off social media I'm not sure I think she has taken herself off but it seems to be a lot of black queens that seem to get most of the shit. And also for those that don't know, Jeffrey Bell Chapman, he's black as well. So it's definitely, mm-hmm. I think, not just a toxicity, not just a toxicity with, you know, stands of RuPaul's Drag Race, but also there's such a big element of racism there as well. Oh, massively. The fandom is so racist. I don't know if you've seen uh, Work the World, which is on Stan as well, which follows the queens. And the one of Asia O'Hara, and she said, you know, like fans don't even want to get photos with her. Like they'll go to Cameron and they'll go to Aquaria, who are white queens, Mm -hmm. and she'll just sort of stand on the sideline. And it's just so infuriating and heartbreaking because you really see the level of racism like right there. And yeah. people hide behind it because they say, oh, well, I, I just don't like her drag. Like, I, it's just like her drag. And it's like, well, no, it's not because you'll like other pageant queens, but it's blatantly racist and it's yeah. very frustrating. I've also noticed that with Instagram followers as well, there's a few TikTok accounts I follow and it goes from each season and it looks at from least followed to highest followed. And a lot of the drag queens that are black, they're in the least followed on Instagram followers. It's yeah. just messed up. I mean... Yeah, it is. It's fucked up. I like think about um the what happened with Jimbo, right? On Canada's yes. Drag Race. Had that, mm. you know, complete, you know, attacked Rita Baker for her wig. And like it was hilarious, don't get me wrong. But um if that had have been a black queen, she would have been absolutely attacked for it. But because she's white, she gets away with it and we're like, Oh, Caddy Queen. Because if you look at the Vixen from season I 10, literally was thinking that. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the Vixen just got absolutely destroyed. And and the thing is as well, like the Vixen was making commentary on the fact of like to the cameras, like she's pointing at the camera. She's like, to them, I look like an angry black woman and you look like this white innocent snowflake and I'm attacking you when it is not the case, but that's how the camera reads it. And that's exactly how the audience read it, even though she had pointed it out. I remember she mentioned with the queer, the white tears. And that's so true. We defend the white queens. We defend what they say and the actions that they do. But when it's black queens, we just say like, oh, they're angry. And then they get all the hate messages. It's horrible. Yeah, no, I I completely Mm. agree. Mm. But this year alone, like all of the queens have been people of color, which is, I don't remember a time that that's happened. But like, yeah, Canada's Drag Race, All Stars 5 and Season 12 have all been queens of color. So I'm hoping that things are at least going to get better because, I mean, surely it's going to improve, right? I think that what that shows, that's a sign that the black queens are talented as fuck. They can sew, they can dance, they can sing. They are talented as fuck and they should not be dragged down and they should just own their fucking Mm -hmm. talent and not be dragged down by some stupid fans. And also the thing is, just because you're a fan doesn't mean you're an expert. I could admit, sometimes I got to like pull myself up and be like, Demi, you're not an expert. You just watch this shit. You just waste your time watching this stuff. You're not an expert. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I think another um, 
so another example that mm. I was just thinking of. So Tyra Sanchez, who mm-hmm. was, you know, one of the most hated, I would say queens, but definitely the most hated winner of all yeah, time um, because she beat Raven, who was a white woman. And then um, season eight was Bob the Drag Queen season and Bob won. And Bob absolutely deserved to win that season. Mm. Like she was the front runner from the start. Like I, I, It's crazy to me that anyone else would win. But <laughs> yeah. people drag that season as saying it's one of the worst seasons and I think it's just because they don't like who won in the end because they're racist. Interesting. I never thought about that. Yeah, because I always hear discussions. People say either, yeah, seven or eight. And personally, I find seven, seven, that's my least favorite. But like, yeah, that's interesting with eight, even though Bob the Drag Queen just owned that entire season pretty much. Whole season, yeah. Yeah. It's fucked up. But something that I do love about the show, it talks about issues that we would never, ever think that are issues or that would never come to our head. So like, for example, with this season of Canada's Drag Race, they brought up the discussion of bachelorette parties and they said how so often women assault them. I think it was Rita. Rita said that a woman had actually even stuck her finger up her butt while she was performing. That's just, yeah. It, look, I've seen that happen. I mean, mm. I, like are you, you would have seen people out on a bachelorette party. I mean, it is wild, wild stuff. And obviously I don't agree with some of the behavior that people get up to, oh, just on any night out really. But yeah. like for some reason, bachelorette parties, it's like this mindset of it's my last hurrah and so we're going to go super hard and that like sometimes white women just think I can do whatever I want because it's my bachelorette party right like and and that's just probably brides in general you know going hard on just like it's my time and I can get what do whatever I want and it's so unfortunate that drag queens get dragged into that it did not surprise me in the slightest that that would be the case because yeah I can just imagine that happening the entire time you were talking i literally was just picturing jimbo just screaming it's my special day i just have that image in my head the entire time like i mean it happens it happens like that the entitlement around weddings and the amount of pressure that is put upon it and like because everyone does think like it's my special time Mm. and you know just for for things that i've had with my friends when they're getting married and the entitlement and that everything has to stop for them. So, yeah, I would not be surprised if at a bachelorette party, you know, treat a drag queen or, you know, whatever entertainment it is, really, mm-hmm. um, that they can just, you know, treat them however they want. And it's really unfortunate drag queens get that. What are some other topics that you've noticed? Like, do you remember any certain topics that have been discussed on the show that just will always stick with you? <laughs> Dusty Ray Bottoms talking about conversion therapy. Oh. Um, he got married up. over the weekend. Really? Oh my god. He got he got married over oh the weekend. God. The photos are beautiful. Guess what? His Look parents good. surprised him and came to oh. the wedding. Uh-huh. Oh my god. Stop. Oh, I was oh just god, that's amazing. Yes. Yep. Oh my god. Yeah. Well, look, that one really ah, oh, that one really messed me up because him explaining what he had to go through. Trinity K. Bonet talking about being HIV positive um, and that one got me. And also Sasha Velour and Valentina talking about uh, anorexia and having eating issues and how it's not just women that have that. Um, Those are ones that have really stuck with me for sure. What about you? Oh, Nina West. Nina West when she said that she got beaten up in a college dorm. I was just... (sighs) Oh, that stuck with me for a while. It's just, yeah, yeah, that one definitely stuck with me. Um, 
What Shit, else? Yeah, oh, um, Sonique from season two, when she came out, like she was the first one to come out onto the show as a trans yes. woman. That yeah. just, oh, just, because just seeing her shaking and need, and just like needing to say something, yeah. that was just, oh, that was beautiful. It's, I, yeah, because, mm-hmm. and then also Peppermint, when Peppermint uh, came out as transgender on the show, um, that was also really emotional because she was saying like, you know, you just don't know how people are going to react and just to be, you know, surrounded by love in that moment meant the world to me. And it's just so great to get to see those moments and for them to get a platform because as much as there are issues with the show and there's problematic yeah. things with the show, it really does give a voice to issues that we probably wouldn't hear about. And because this show is pushing so far into the mainstream, it is so important that it keeps going and that we keep getting these issues talked about, like uh, Rainbow Railroads the, that they talked about in Canada's Drag Race. <gasps> oh, my I goodness. Didn't know. Yes. <laughs> I didn't mm. know about that charity. And I was in tears that episode. It was so moving and so beautiful. And it's like, I never would have known about this if it wasn't for this show. So this this show about men in dresses and wearing, you know, padding and dresses and, you know, all of that and for how catty it can be and stuff. It really does do an important role in mm. what it does. So then we do definitely have to bring up then the fact that there is a bit of controversy <laughs> around the show. So yeah. I think it's good we do talk about first, like, you know, we love the show. Like it is everything. Absolutely. It is like it has done so much for me with my depression, of course. Like I when I am so down, all I need to do is listen to some Bianca Del Rio, Bob the Drag Queen, Katya, and I'm sorted for the day. I'm good. Hundred hundred percent. That's all I need and I'm good for the day. But there is some controversies in particular around RuPaul. Now Yeah. <laughs> yeah the yeah. namesake of the show, RuPaul's drag race, yes. Yeah. So I think it was it was either this year or last year that fans Actually, they didn't even find out. He just, like, made it as, like, a side comment that there's fracking done on his property. And then as well, um, I've heard, like, drag queens talk about and also trans people as well talk about the transphobia as well. What are your thoughts about how do we love someone? Like, you know, you and I, we love RuPaul. We love RuPaul's Drag Race. But we still realize that there is still a really toxicity there and also a toxic environment on the show as well. Yeah, it's... It's such, it's such a hard, uh, it's so hard to justify in your head, isn't it? Because it's Mm. like, on one hand, you're like, RuPaul does say transphobic things Mm. and that's unacceptable. But then on the other hand, has a television show in which trans people can and do compete on it and get their careers lifted to a global scale and gives them a platform. So it's like, I don't, uh, it's hard because you're like, yeah, you, we need that show for that purpose, right? So it is difficult. I think, I think like RuPaul maybe just needs to firstly like watch what she says a little bit better mm. um, and realize, I mean, surely she knows and understands the gravitas that she carries in the community and like her role that she plays and how important it is that I think that we should just, she should elevate her knowledge and understanding to be the person that is in like, you know, she's one of the major players in that community. And so she needs to take the responsibility a bit more seriously is what I think. I I think as well, though, she comes from, I've like watched some documentaries with her talking about how she used to do like gender fuck and all this stuff back when, you know, she was younger. And that at the time was considered so revolutionary, right? Like what she was doing. And so 
the game has just changed so much. And you would think that someone at the forefront of it, because there's like, that's their show and that's their world would be aware of that. But it's almost like she hasn't changed her mindset to come to today's level of understanding gender. Mm. You know, I get similar vibes from, I get similar vibes to Madonna. Like Madonna was this revolutionary icon in the eighties, nineties. Her views were very similar to RuPaul. They were not something that was spoken about like they were back then, but it feels like she's kind of like stuck there. And I think RuPaul is the same that it comes to a point when it's 2020, you kind of got to update yourself a bit. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. You have to, you have to, understand and i think it's just tricky because if rupaul was not on this show right and was just you know a drag queen being supermodel of the world or whatever Mm. it probably wouldn't matter as much right because it would be like well you don't you're not in the space as much but it's like because you are in the space and you have this show it's kind of important that you pay attention and really educate yourself with rupaul as well i think what we also got to remember is that at least what with rupaul has done he has brought people into our worlds that we would have never known anything about like some incredible, incredible activists, Bob, like Bob the Drag Queen, Peppermint, Sasha Valor, they are all such incredible activists. And Elise Ripple has brought those into our lives because I would have never known them if I didn't watch the show. Yeah I, yeah, I saw on Work the World, Sharon saying, we just planned on being like drag queens in our town. It was just a, a gig. And now we travel the world and we're like international superstars. And like, you just can't prepare for that. And I'd never thought about it like that. Like, yeah, how crazy the opportunity is to get put on this show and to get this like worldwide platform. And it's almost like, you know, RuPaul says that the reason that she does the show is because she knows that like, she's handing over the legacy to the Queens. And I think in a way that's kind of the case when it comes to the activism for sure. So like, yes, RuPaul may say transphobic things, but RuPaul has also given these Queens who are better versed on it and who are transgender themselves or non-binary has given them the platform for their voice to be heard on those topics. So it's not like RuPaul has to be the be all and end all and the authoritative figure on these topics because she's allowed other queens to come forward and given their voice the ability to to be heard. That was Bianca Ismolovsky and I speaking about one of our favorite topics, RuPaul's Drag Race. Make sure you follow Bianca on her Instagram page, Bianca Ismolovsky, and also check out her hilarious podcast, We Want to Be Better, with the glorious Annie Nolan. If you enjoyed this episode of The Catch-Up, please give it a five-star review. The Nasty Woman Club is still a small business, so every review counts. For more stories on the world of intersectional feminism, head on over to thenastywomanclub.com or the Nasty Woman Club Instagram and Facebook pages. I'm your host, Demi Lynch, and I will see you all on Friday for another episode of The Nasty Woman Club. 